Yes, welcome to a special 400th episode of NBA Panel. I'm your host, John Weatherspoon. I'm honored to be once again to be joined by legendary sportscaster Bob Costas. Bob, how are you doing? I'm good, John. Thanks for having me on. Always a pleasure. Always a pleasure. Yes, welcome back to NBA Panel. Um, last time we spoke, I think you were talking about the last dance we were doing on the pandemic back then. Yeah, well, the last dance really would have gotten a whole lot of attention no matter when it aired, but since it fell right in the middle of the pandemic and there was so little, if any, live sports and everybody was looking for archival stuff and replaying stuff that people had already seen, even if it was long ago, then along right. comes The Last Dance, a really good uh, piece of work, and it's fresh. It's a retrospective. It's history, but it's also fresh because no one had seen it in that form before. So I think it got an even larger audience than it otherwise would have and a more attentive right. audience than it otherwise would have, and it really made an impact. Yes, um, your current workload, your preferred workload, you're doing a great job at MLB Network. Um, how's your time over there? Well, I've been with MLB Network since it started in 2009. Uh, baseball had left NBC uh, in 2000. It had always been part of NBC almost my entire time there, uh, but it was apparent that NBC wasn't going to get baseball back anytime soon, and they still haven't. They have these Sunday morning games now on Peacock, kind of an ancillary part of it, but I knew that if I was ever going to get involved in baseball again, that was the way to do it, uh, not just with calling games, but all the other programming around baseball that I've been lucky enough to be part of. So I've been there since it started, and I'm happy to still be there. Yes. Um, you, you revived the show back on the record with Bob Costas. Um, it's called Back on the Record with Bob Costas. Congratulations on that. Um, HBO was a natural fit for you. It allowed you to be yourself. Yeah, well, we weren't trying to reinvent the wheel. Uh, there was a show called On the Record with Bob Costas that ran from 2001 through 2008 oh. on HBO. And then when the Baseball Network came into existence in 2009, I wanted to stay at HBO and also be at the Baseball Network because my duties at NBC then weren't overwhelming or that time-consuming. Uh, but HBO at that time said, we want you to stay, but you have to choose. We have to have cable exclusivity. So it was a very difficult choice because I loved being at HBO, but I chose to go with baseball, my favorite sport. And then times changed, the media landscape changed, and HBO uh, saw an opening to bring me back. And they said, what should we call the show? And I said, it's simple. Just call it back on the record. I've been gone a while, and now I'm back. And it's not exactly the same show as it was the first time, but it's largely the same sort of thing. Long-form interviews, panel discussion, uh, some commentary from me. Uh, it's the sort of thing that I've done before, and I continue to enjoy doing. Yes, um, you went to Syracuse University, and first out of Syracuse, you went to KMOX, where you met the great late Zach Buck. Um, how was it learning from one of your idols to help you shape you into the great broadcaster you've become today? Well, you know, Jack was already established as a guy who could be on the Mount Rushmore of sports broadcasters, uh, the longtime voice of the Cardinals, and he'd done a lot of network uh, broadcasting, mostly in football with CBS. So I was kind of in awe of him. I was 22 years old, just out of Syracuse University. It was an incredible break for me. Right. And I don't think he so much tutored me as I learned by his example, just being around him. And I've always said that you shouldn't copy other broadcasters, even the ones you admire most. If right. they're great, they're great because in some sense they're distinctive. Jack Buck was great in a different way than Vin Scully was great. 
And Harry Carey was great in his own unique way that no one else should try to copy because they couldn't possibly do it. So right. what you can get from observing someone who's a master of their craft is the idea of preparation and the idea of various elements being part of the broadcast. Jack had a great dry sense of humor, and he would drop that in. But if you didn't master the basic aspects of play-by-play, then you couldn't add all of those individual touches to it. So just being around him and watching the way he carried himself, the way he interacted with other people, um, I didn't directly try to copy him, but that influenced me. Um, yes, you became a face of NBC at an early age, age 27. Um, your growth over the years, you grew into this composed broadcast as you are. Um, how does this time at NBC help shape you there? Well, I was so young when I got to NBC, uh, and I was afraid because most of the work that I had done prior to that was on radio. And I was afraid that because I looked so young that people wouldn't take me seriously. Uh, the people at NBC were extremely encouraging. Uh, they saw potential in me. They gave me significant assignments early on. And I think I did well on those in kind of a straightforward way. But it was when I loosened up a little bit after that and was able to bring a little humor to it and a little more texture to it that maybe I was able to set myself apart uh, a bit more. But that only comes after you're comfortable. You shouldn't try to have little flourishes and, and do something out of the box until you're totally secure in the way you've handled the basic meat and potatoes of it. And once you get past that point, then maybe you can add a few little individual touches. Yes. Um, you interviewed Ron James when he was in high school before he came into the league with the, all the expectations that were upon him. You're 20 into his career. Um, he's on pace to pass Kareem Abdul-Jabbar on an all-time NBA scoring list. Um, what, something remarkable about Kareem's, Kareem's record is that he only hit one three-point shot for his whole career. That was in 1986, which he acknowledged was by accident. I mean, that makes his record the more remarkable how it's been so untouched so far. And LeBron has hit over 2,000 three-pointers, which allowed him to catch Kareem in lesser games. Um, how do you feel about LeBron approaching and passing Kareem? Well, LeBron's one of the tiny handful of greatest players of all time. No matter how you rank him, I don't know anybody who knows anything that ranks him outside the top five of all time. Although having said that, it's difficult to group centers with other positions. It's difficult to compare. You can compare Michael, who was a guard, to LeBron, who technically is a forward, although it seems he can play almost anywhere. You can compare them, even though it's difficult. But how do you compare Wilt Chamberlain or Bill Russell or Kareem or a healthy Bill Walton to any of those guys? The center position is somewhat different. But when we're talking about the scoring record, LeBron has earned it. He's had a very long career because he started right out of high school. Not everybody who came right out of high school, even though all of them seem to have great potential, reached their potential to the extent that LeBron has. You really have to respect his dedication, his fitness, uh, the way he's given his all to the game and continue to develop his game. So when he gets the record, which he will, he deserves it. Even though the emphasis on the three-point shot now is greater than it was when Kareem played, Kareem could shoot pretty well for a guy who was seven foot two, but his game would never have been to shoot from that distance. There are seven-footers like Kevin Durant and others who can. That would not have been Kareem's game. It is worth noting that Kareem shot better than 70% from the free-throw line, better than most men of his size in his era shot from the foul line. But his meat and potatoes 
was the skyhook, an absolutely unstoppable shot, a signature shot, one of the most distinctive moves of anybody in any sport. Uh, Kareem won six Most Valuable Player awards. He won championships every year. Freshman couldn't play, but every year he played on the varsity at UCLA, they won the championship. He was just one of the greatest figures in the history of sports. And beyond that, he is now a very thoughtful voice on a wide variety of issues, not confined to sports, but sometimes growing out of sports. So Kareem is someone I'm happy to call a friend and someone I greatly admire and respect. And just as when Hank Aaron passed Babe Ruth's statistical record of 714, people didn't forget about Babe Ruth. And Barry Bonds did it under different circumstances, but just because he had seven more home runs than Hank Aaron, nobody's forgetting about Hank Aaron. So LeBron will get the record. He owns and deserves the record, or will when he gets it, but that's not going to make anybody forget about Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. I'll also say that you mentioned that interview I did with him on HBO when he was just coming out of high school and had not yet played a game in the NBA. And I was very impressed by how mature and thoughtful and common sense sort of fellow he was, even at that early age. Yes, he's been. He's got a lot of slack over his career for not making. He, he always makes the best basketball play, but he gets criticized for it. I guess that comes from the the pressure that he came into the league with that people expected him to perform by. Um, from that interview until now, um, how do you look at the way he handled the pressure? Well, I think he's by and large handled himself extremely well. He's played his entire career pretty much in a social media era. Uh, and so if you're anything short of perfection, slings and arrows are going to be aimed your way. Right. And he's also had the occasional misstep himself on social media. It's admirable that he wants to speak out on social issues and he wants to be a voice for justice. By and large, I think that's admirable. But occasionally he said some things that weren't as well thought out as they could have been, and then heat comes his way for that. Uh, you know, when you are as good as he has been, and I forget how many finals he's been to, but it's more finals than he's won, any time in this era you fall short. It's not good enough to be a 9 or a 9.5 on a 10 scale. If you're a 9.9 on a 10 scale, there's going to be a portion of the people out there that are going to take that one-tenth of 1% and hold it against you and act as if it defines you. Um, there are people who prefer Michael Jordan, and I think Michael Jordan's the greatest all-round player that I've seen, again, discounting centers, because that's an apples-to-orange comparison. Right. But I would rank Michael Jordan number one, but that doesn't mean I need to disparage LeBron James in order to do that. You can make a case for LeBron. Uh, there are just some people that enjoy knocking people down a peg. It's one thing to cite a flaw or to cite a game or whatever it might be where a guy wasn't quite at his best. It's another thing to try to use that to define the person. That isn't fair. Um, you made so many historic calls. Um, in a moment, I'm not sure you knew how important it would be to future mm -hmm. future of the game. Um, from the MLB to NBA, you made so many famous calls. Um, looking back on some of those calls, do you have any favorite ones? Well, I guess I prefer the ones that hold up historically because I've always thought that, yes, you're calling each play. It's called play-by-play. -play, but you have to also recognize some kind of narrative, a narrative of that game, a narrative of that series, if that's the case, or in some cases, 
an historical narrative if it rises to that level. So if I had to pick one from basketball, it would be Michael Jordan's last shot uh, against the Jazz in 98 that clinched the sixth championship. It was such a classic shot, and it came in such a pressure-packed moment. It almost exemplified everything that Michael Jordan had been in big moments throughout his career. And as you saw in the last dance, it holds up pretty well 20 years later or whatever it was. I guess it's now 24 years later. It holds up pretty well. So what I said in the moment um, still applies two decades later. Uh, A year after that on the World Series, the Yankees swept the Atlanta Braves. It was the Yankees' fourth world championship of the decade. But people forget that coming into – no, I'm wrong. It was their third world championship. They won in 96, 98, 99. Then they'd win again in 2000. But it was the end of the decade and the end of the century. Entering that World Series, Atlanta was in its fifth World Series of the decade. Uh, let me make sure I get this right. Yeah, that's right. 91, 92, 96, 99, 95, 96, 99. That's right. So they were in their fifth, and the Yankees were in their third. So the winner of that World Series would have been proclaimed the team of the decade. It seems obvious now that the Yankees were, but it was up for grabs entering that World Series. Then the Yankees sweeped the Braves, and so the Braves, even though they went to five World Series, won only one in the decade. The Yankees had won all three World Series, 96, 98, 99, that they had played in the decade, and they had beaten the Braves in two of them, 96 and 99. So very clearly, the Yankees were the team of the decade. Also very clearly, when you look back over baseball history, even at that time, there have been other very successful and historically significant teams, but none as significant as the Yankees, none as successful as the Yankees. So I'm not one who believes, some announcers do this, that you should script things in anticipation of a big moment. I think you should have certain aspects of what the storyline is in mind, but I don't think you should have exact words scripted. And as it happened, the last out in the ninth inning as Mariano Rivera was closing it out for the Yankees and the game wasn't close, it was clear the Yankees were going to win it, was a routine fly ball to left field. And while the ball was in the air, it occurred to me not so much to call that play, but to summarize what had happened in the series and in Yankee history. And so that call became the New York Yankees, world champions, team of the decade, most successful franchise of the century. And then I just shut up for like 90 seconds while they celebrated. And it's a difference, by the way, that the game was at Yankee Stadium. If the game was in Atlanta, it would have been less raucous scene and less cheering, so you might have been silent for a lesser amount of time. But the reaction in the ballpark allowed me to be silent for as long as I was. And the reason I remember that call word for word is that if you're at Yankee Stadium now, you know, during batting practice and whatnot, they play highlights of Yankee history going all the way back to Babe Ruth. And so I probably heard that call on the big screen a dozen times just from being at Yankee Stadium. Um, And so it it seems to hold up because it was true then and it remains true. If you see them make the right call, the right, see the right things at the right time, it's it's natural. Not not every time, but but often (laughs) enough, I hope. Yes, um, he won over. He won twenty nine Emmy awards. Um, song for news, entertainment, and sports. Um, out of all your awards, um, 
where, where would you rank your sports wrestling Hall of Fame inductee class in 2018 for your favorite that's, that's your favorite sport that you love baseball? Well, that meant a great deal to me because of my love of the game and because uh, I was able to have some 40 family and friends there, so many people that meant something to me, not just in baseball but in my life, uh, and kind of the embrace of the baseball community. You're standing on that stage in front of an array of Hall of Famers, uh, some of them that go back to my childhood. It was just very moving and, and meaningful to me. Um, so, yeah. That that ranks above everything else. Uh, Bob, congratulations on your whole career and the adventures you're doing today. Thank you so much for your time again. Always a pleasure speaking with you. John, thank you very much. Happy holidays. You too. Yes, that was a legendary sportscaster. Bob Cosmos, thank you for joining me. Thanks for joining me. Catch you next time.